Welcome to Sojourner Truth. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Voting rights campaigners have been frustrated by lack of action by the U.S. Congress to restore voting rights, which have been undermined since the 2013 Supreme Court decision that stripped the historic Voting Rights Act won during the civil rights era of its teeth. Civil rights leaders have been pressuring President Biden and congressional Democrats to take urgent action. This, as voter suppression laws are spreading across the U.S., the most recent law and very restrictive one passed in Texas. In an effort to get something done, Democrats have cut a deal with blue dog Democrats, conservative Democrats, including Joe Manchin. And on Tuesday, September 14th, eight Senate Democrats joined Manchin to put forth a new voting rights bill named the Freedom to Vote Act to give reaction to what is happening in this historic fight for voting rights, we speak with voting rights campaigner Barbara Arnwine. And an update on the situation at the U.S.-Mexico border where there is a continuing humanitarian crisis, including that of 2,200 unaccompanied children who crossed the border in July. Our guest is Alba Jaramillo. Executive Director of Arizona Justice for Our Neighbors and for our weekly Earth Watch, over 1,000 arrests as indigenous and other campaigners fight to stop logging on Vancouver's island's ancient forests. We speak with Rainbow Eyes, indigenous land defender. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted, women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. The United States has reached another grim milestone in the devastating COVID-19 pandemic. One in 500 have died from the coronavirus since the nation's first reported infection. The latest statistics by Johns Hopkins University shows more than 666,000 confirmed deaths in the U.S. The sobering toll comes as hospitals in the country are struggling to keep up with the volume of patients and more children are being sickened, especially in states with low vaccination rates. The U.S. is reporting more than 150,000 new coronavirus cases per day and about 1,900 daily deaths from COVID-19. Los Angeles County will begin requiring proof of COVID-19 vaccination for customers and workers at indoor bars, wineries, breweries, lounges, and nightclubs next month. Health officials say they strongly recommend the same precautions for indoor restaurants, but are not yet mandating proof of vaccination for them. Barbara Ferreira is the county's public health director. She told the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors in a virtual meeting that targeted vaccination mandates are very important strategies for quickly raising vaccination coverage across L.A. County and for ending the pandemic. This modified health officer order aligns with the continued need to reduce risk for transmission and increase vaccination coverage. 
This is a reasonable path forward that can position us to be better able to break the cycle of surges. The new initiative in the nation's most populous county begins October 7th with proof of at least one vaccine dose required. Officials will require proof of full vaccination by November 4th. The county also will require proof of full vaccination or a negative COVID test within 72 hours for attendees and workers at outdoor events with at least 10,000 people. That requirement begins October 7th. President Biden has announced the U.S. is forming a new Indo-Pacific security alliance with Britain and Australia that will allow for greater sharing of military capabilities, including helping equip Australia with nuclear-powered submarines. We need to be able to address both the current strategic environment in the region and how it may evolve, because the future of each of our nations, and indeed the world, depends on a free and open Indo-Pacific enduring and flourishing in the decades ahead. To date, the only country the U.S. has shared nuclear propulsion technology with is Britain. Prime Minister Scott Morrison said Australia is not seeking to develop a nuclear weapons program and that information sharing would be limited to helping it develop a submarine fleet. But it's a move clearly aimed at China, which responded swiftly. The reaction from China's foreign ministry appeared on Al Jazeera. Australia is a non-nuclear weapons state party to the NPT and a party to the non-nuclear weapons-free zone in the southern Pacific. Now it's importing nuclear-powered submarine technology with strategic military value. The international community, including neighbouring countries, have reason to question its commitment to nuclear non-proliferation. A nuclear-powered submarine fleet would allow Australia to conduct longer patrols, giving the new alliance a stronger presence in the region. Capitol Police have asked for National Guard reinforcements ahead of this weekend's planned rally calling for freedom for those arrested in the violent January 6th Capitol insurrection. Police already are putting fencing back up around the Capitol. Allies of former President Trump are calling those charged in the deadly Capitol insurrection political prisoners. The rally organizer has called those arrested brave patriots who are being held in prison for a nonviolent expression of their First Amendment rights. More than 600 people are facing federal charges in the insurrection that injured dozens of officers and sent lawmakers and Vice President Mike Pence scrambling to safety. Philippines President Rodrigo Duterte's top legal advisor has lashed out at the International Criminal Court's decision to investigate allegations of crimes against humanity during his bloody war on drugs. The Philippines official accused the International Court of being used as a pawn by the popular leader's political opponents as an election nears. Duterte's spokesman said the president says he'll die first before he faces any international courts. Amnesty International welcomed the ICC announcement, saying human rights should be at the center of discussions when the Philippines chooses its next leaders. The International Criminal Court said it has authorized an investigation requested by a former prosecutor into Duterte's anti-drugs campaign, saying it could not be seen as a legitimate law enforcement operation. I'm Eileen Alfandiri for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth on Tuesday, September 14th. Eight Senate Democrats put forth a new voting rights bill named the Freedom to Vote Act. 
The eight are Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia, John Tester of Montana, Senator Tim Kaine of Virginia, Senator Jeff Markley of Oregon, and Senator Alex Padillo of California. The bill has publicly been supported by right leaning Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, who described it as a step in the right direction. The Freedom to Vote Act focuses on expanding voter access, boosting election integrity, and encouraging civil participation, this according to its backers. Some of its stipulations include guaranteeing at least 15 days of early voting for federal elections, mandating same-day registration at all polling locations by 2024, and making Election Day a public holiday. The Freedom to Vote Act also has the intended goal of promoting what has been described as voter confidence by requiring a uniform national standard for states that require identification for in-person voting. This has been a contentious issue between Republicans and Democrats, as the latter have pointed out that the ID requirements can discriminate against voters of color young people and other voters. However, supporters of the new voting rights bill have tried to quell those concerns, adding a stipulation to the bill that allows voters to present a broad set of ID cards. Moving forward, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has announced that he plans to hold a vote to advance the new voting rights bill as early as next week. It would need the support of at least 60 senators, including 10 on the GOP side. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, let us go now uh, to a, a couple of short clips, one from McClatchy News and MSNBC, uh, giving some background that uh, led us up to this moment. Earlier this year, Texas Republicans introduced Senate Bill 7, which critics say would make voting harder. Texas Democrats said the bill was uh, That's a vote suppression tactic. And Attempt to silence our voices. And walked out. Republicans said they want elections to be secure and accessible. Governor Greg Abbott called the lawmakers back to Austin to revitalize election legislation like Senate Bill 7. I'm about to get on a plane to go to Washington to fight for our democracy. Republicans are working hard in Congress to deny our voice, and Republicans here in Texas are doing the same. Texas Democrats broke quorum and left for Washington, D.C. Here's what the new election bill might do. Ban drive-through voting. Set times when polling places can operate, effectively banning 24-hour voting. Create additional protections for poll watchers. Make it illegal for a public official to send an application to vote by mail to a person who didn't request one. And make it illegal for an election officer to knowingly refuse to accept a poll watcher for service. Sahil, let's turn to voting rights. Joe Manchin signing on. How big of a deal is that? time Democrats have a major voting rights bill that has a path to getting all 50 senators on board. Right now it's just the working group, which includes Joe Manchin, but the other uh, 49 are likely to come on board at the end of this. What convinced Joe Manchin at the end of the day is a series of changes made from the, the previous version, which was S-1. This is a more focused bill on voting. The previous one was kind of a grab bag of progressive policies that included uh, issues related to campaign finance and ethics. This is simply about voting. One of the things they did to get Joe Manchin on board was 
remove that ban on voter ID in S1. Joe Manchin is a supporter of voter ID. What this new bill does is it doesn't require it, but it allows states that are pursuing it to continue to do voter ID, but with some federal standards. Another thing this bill does is give flexibility to certain jurisdictions on issues like 15 days early voting, uh, which is, you know, uh, which was in the previous bill and which is in this new bill, but small, small counties, small areas that have few voters don't have to abide by the same number of hours. They had gotten feedback, Manchin and other Democrats, that some of those provisions would be difficult to implement. They changed that around, gave states flexibility. Joe Manchin is on board. Another key thing, Stephanie, that this bill does is it goes after sham audits on our right now. It also clamps down on states like Georgia attempting to uh, enact state takeovers of local jurisdictions. All these things happening in the wake of the 2020 election, all of them fueled by former President Trump's uh, conspiracy theories and lies about the 2020 election result. All righty. And some are in Congress are remaining hopeful, given that Senator Manchin seems to back the bill and has pledged to discuss it with Republicans. However, some campaigners for voting rights point out that the bill does not go far enough in protecting and expanding voting rights, which have been continually under attack since uh, the Supreme Court decision in 2013 that basically gutted uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Now, according to the Brennan Center for Justice, between January 1st and July 14th, 2021, at least 18 states enacted 30 laws that restrict access to the vote. And just last week, as you heard in the clip, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott signed into a law that bans 24-hour and drive-through voting, imposing new hurdles on mail-in ballots and other restrictions. Now, opponents of Senate Bill 1 said its provisions will disproportionately restrict voting access for marginalized voters, including voters of color and those with disabilities. Now, keep in mind that House Democrats have previously passed two other voting bills, the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, uh, named after the late John Lewis. The votes were along party lines, but the legislation went nowhere in the Senate. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden is planning to pressure conservative Democrats in the Senate to support filibuster reform in order to pass voting rights legislation. We'll see if that uh, actually is the case. Now, President Biden has reportedly told House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Schumer that he will speak to holdouts in the Senate, hoping to establish a filibuster exception for voting rights. And I understand he is meeting, um, having some meetings with today uh, with some members of Congress. Now, let me welcome our guest. Welcome back to Sojourner Truth, Barbara Arnwine, veteran civil rights and human rights leader and advocate. She's been a longtime voting rights campaigner. She is the president and founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition. But for a few decades, she was the executive director of the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights. She's known internationally and nationally. She is an award-winning uh, campaigner and hasn't slowed down because Barbara, I don't know how many times she has been arrested recently. Um, she has <laughs> testified. She has uh, walked the picket lines. She's gone to jail. Barbara Arnwine, welcome back. Glad you're in one piece here. 
<laughs> Thank you. And it's great not to be in jail and not to be arrested uh, at this moment, but that's coming again. <laughs> I'm sure it is knowing you, uh, Barbara. So uh, first, give us your reaction now to this um, bill uh, supported by these eight Democrats, the Freedom to Vote Act. Well, I think my reaction is the same as many of the civil rights and voting rights organizations around the country, which is cautiously optimistic. I mean, I've been on several calls with, uh, you know, the alliances of different groups and different coalitions, and the I think everyone is a little bit surprised that the bill is better than what they expected. Remember, the original uh, Manson Compromise was a disaster. It was absolutely unacceptable. And then many of us um, were opposed to it vehemently and were making it quite clear that there was no way on earth that we would support what he originally put forth in late June. Um, Interestingly, through Klobuchar's intervention, and Warnock, I understand, has been an incredible force in these negotiations, uh, and through a whole lot of voices, uh, you know, talking and meeting with Manchin. Uh, don't, you can never take away the influence of those Texas state legislators who met with him, uh, all, you know, the dozens and dozens of them who met with them, who have, fl- who have flown uh, and fled <laughs> the state of Texas uh, to try to stop that voter suppression bill there that eventually did pass. Uh, but he was really influenced by them and really listened to them. And I'm sure, you know, Stacey Abrams, a whole lot of folks have had, you know, voices, you know, um, people like myself and uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson, before he got really ill, met with him also. Uh, Schumer has done his job. I mean, I think there's a lot of work that went into it, but the bill, if you look at it, is substantially different than what he initially put forth. There's a lot of you know common elements, but there are some new ones. Let me tell you the one that no one's mentioned yet, that to me is okay. one of the most significant, and that is the new requirement that if you have been incarcerated the, uh, for a felony, the minute you walk out of jail, you are eligible to vote. In every, you would be eligible in every single state in the union. That would change the law in 31 states that says that you cannot vote uh, if you were formerly incarcerated until you finished parole, probation, or pay a fine, pay a fee. All of that would be gone. That means that Six million people who are currently barred from voting would have that opportunity to vote now. It also means that 9 to some 17 million people who are confused about their right to vote because they've seen so many people incarcerated in other states for voting who were formerly incarcerated now would know that they have the right to vote uh, and that that would just change the dynamic. We are talking about the potential for millions of new people to register and participate in the franchise and removing one of the biggest obstacles. I think that's centrally one of the best provisions in this bill. 
the voter ID provision has been the most controversial. And I think that that uh, provision was absolutely unacceptable in its original formulation uh, that, you know, imposing, you know, photo voter ID on every state made zero sense. It was uh, actually almost like in uh, codifying uh, voter uh, suppression. Uh, so I think that the new provisions that now says that states like California that have never had any, you know, uh, onerous uh, voter ID are grandfathered in, that their laws that they stand now are fine. There's nothing you can do about them. This would not impact them. That other states that have all these voter ID laws, some extremely onerous, as such as in the state of Texas, where they only accept a few forms of ID, um, that now they would have to accept up to you know 26, almost 30 different forms of ID, uh, including utility bills, uh, uh, people's, you know, TANF cards, all kinds of different ID that would be allowable. Uh, so that's a advance over where we are now. Uh, nevertheless, you know, there is a lot of trepidation in our community still about that provision. Uh, there are some other, you know, elements of, you know, this bill that we're all working through. Everybody, I just want you to know, it's 592 pages. The bill is. Can you imagine, yeah. um, Margaret, that it takes 592 pages, almost 600 pages of bill to protect our voting rights? My goodness, in 2021. Out, out, just, just outrageous, uh, Barbara Arnwine. And the thing about it is, is that I mean, what you're saying about. Um, the formerly incarcerated, just a fantastic yes. victory. I mean, look at what Florida went through and the organizing. I mean, I continue to be amazed by the level of effective organizing by in people who are incarcerated as well as the formerly incarcerated people who have been working steadily on this uh, for so long. But Barbara Arnwine, I mean, none of this would happen. I don't think uh, Manchin would have moved one inch if it were not for pressure from the movement. Tell us about that no movement, doubt. because you have been integral oh, yeah. uh, to it. The Poor People's Campaign has been staying on mansion like white on rice, right? <laughs> or brown on rice, How, however you're, you're, you, you want to cut that. Tell us a bit about that movement, because uh, it's oh important, goodness. because especially for young people, people get discouraged and thinking, well, can we really achieve change? Can we really, you know, make something happen? T tell us about what, that movement. What, oh, yes. I mean, let's start with it. The civil rights groups, a uh, number of them, what they call the big six, uh, you know, asked for a meeting with Manson in early June, and he uh, granted the meeting, <laughs> and the rascal, you know, right after the uh, meeting, uh, you know, right around the time of the meeting, he puts out in the paper his a statement that he's not going to support any any federal legislation period that he's not going to do a thing and that he's opposed to uh you know the for the people act and he's opposed to uh you know other uh voting rights uh, measures and that sets the community off he meets with the leaders said that he thought it was a good meeting so on and so on. 
whatever. And then, of course, uh, groups like ours, we, uh, along with, you know, uh, give Reverend Bishop uh, Barber, uh, William Barber, all the credit because the, uh, the Poor People's Campaign goes to West Virginia, has a huge uh, event that Daryl Jones, who is one of the co-leaders of Transformative Justice Coalition, and I attend, and we take hundreds of people to his office, and we protest, and we scream, and we uh, point out, you know, his uh, his undermining democracy, and how could he make a mockery, of, uh, you know, mockery of our democracy by refusing uh, to protect it? And he, three days later, releases his first compromise. People, do you wow. think that would have happened without that direct action? And the good news is that it wasn't just people from the outside. These were Virginians by the hundreds. That's right. Up and said, we never would have voted for you if we had thought you would betray us like this. And because in the state of Virginia, some 79% of all voters supported the Florida the People Act. So he was totally off base. Now, since then, a lot of us have been, as I mentioned, you know, just meeting. Uh, we've been protesting. You know, we've gotten arrested in front of the Hart Senate building. He's been the target. There's been other caravans. There's been other demonstrations. He has been on everybody's lips talking about the need to relent, to make sure that there was protection for voters. And no doubt about it, if we had not brought the heat, this skillet wouldn't be frying. Uh, there wouldn't be a bill out here. Uh, there was, uh, that is, you know, uh, within striking uh, distance of being a decent deal. I think that people need to understand that it's activism. It's being heard, making sure that your vision of America, of this democracy, of this needed multi-racial democracy, that it's our fight that makes a difference. It's not our sitting back and saying, oh, well, it's not our sitting back and saying, okay, whatever you say, Mr. Manson. No, we have actively uh, gone to him, not only in good meetings, but also in serious protests. Uh, and I think people have been uh, doing the correct things. And, in fact, we're not finished. Until this bill is passed, there is no peace. Uh, you know, until we see this measure you know, passed, meaning if a filibuster is necessary, the Manson must support the filibuster. So much Chris, uh, must Kristen Cinema of Arizona, all of these blue dogs who are trying to hide behind Manson and Cinema need to come up and they need to help to kill the filibuster so that we can pass this bill. So we will not stop until this bill is law and until we stop this assault on our democracy and this assault on the right to vote that's happening already. Already 19 states have passed 31 evil voter suppression bills. We must, we must fight it and we won't stop. Right. And, and Barbara, finally, uh, th that's just great and, and encouraging. I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think anything really happens uh, policy wise uh, for, for the good without street heat. Right. Um, but uh, Barbara, do you think it is possible that this uh, Freedom to Vote Act can get through 
without any changes in the filibuster. Um, uh, from what I understand, I think it's today that President Biden is meeting um, with some folks uh, around uh, these issues. Do you think there's a chance well, for that, I, or do you really think that the the filibuster in this, I mean, there are other things that the filibuster stands in the way of, but for this particular uh, bill, Freedom to Vote Act? Well, people need to know that we're living in history. This is the historic moment for protecting the right to vote. Uh, we've had, you know, the protections of the 1965 Voting Rights Act for some 56 years, but now, now is the time for us to stand up in this era and to make sure that our democracy uh, becomes, you know, fulfilled uh, and that it's not denied. So it means uh, literally that, you know, in the next 10 days, whatever the Senate does will determine the future of our nation's ability uh, for people of all races, all creeds, all ethnicities to uh, vote. And by the way, this bill has some really good stuff for people with disabilities. It changes the law in a good way and for military, uh, you know, people in the military. There's all kinds of protections here. And so it's needed uh, that we are going to be watching. And, uh, and it's not just watching. Uh, we're going to be active. And, in fact, uh, watch us. Because over the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be doing actions, including this Friday, uh, the 17th. There's going to be actions all over the country with people doing civil disobedience, people doing marches, because we aren't satisfied until it's passed. And I believe it can be passed. I think that, you know, uh, hopefully President Biden will do his job. You know that we've been on him. Uh, saying, which side are you on? Come out and publicly say that the filibuster has to be ended. Come out and do that. He hasn't yet. And until he does, uh, we will not take the pressure off of him. We will continue the protests at the White House, continue to have civil disobedience and arrests. Uh, we will not stop, and we will stay on top of the Senate doing the same thing. And we're going to open up a new front. Because uh, the corporate community, where are you corporations? And what about the corporations that are funding these voter suppressors in these states? Oh, we're not finished one bit. This is an ongoing movement. Even after we get this legislation, we got a lot of work to do to protect voters. So we aren't about to relent for one second. That's right. I know you're not. Uh, and Barbara Arnwine, for people who want to uh, be in touch with your organization, the Transformative uh, Justice uh, Coalition, and to know more about the work you're doing and want to get involved in this fight to um, really for voting rights in this country, what should they do? Uh, we're active on all social media, Facebook, the Transformative Justice Coalition, Instagram, the Fit Transformative Justice Coalition, Twitter, TJC underscore DC. Uh, you know, I'm active on all these measures under my full name, Barbara Arnwine, and Barb73 uh, is my big uh, Twitter account. Uh, also, uh, you know, people can reach us on websites. We have you know, the tjcoalition.org website, and we have the votingrightsalliance.org 
website. So there's a lot of places where we have information. That's just a few of them. Uh, people can really look for us and find, uh, you know, our imprint because we are determined. You know, last two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we did something unprecedented. We brought 500 people uh, to participate in the Lincoln Memorial uh, Gathering March on all of that for the uh, 58th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act uh, of the uh, March on Washington. And we had, um, you know, we made everybody uh, show proof of vaccination. And fortunately, everybody's, you know, come out, you know, healthy out of that event. But it was just amazing to see people from all these states and how committed people are at the grassroots level to getting this done and to preserving and promoting a multiracial, robust, inclusive democracy. We're not going to stop. And I'm just you know, so proud of everyone's work. Well, Barbara Arnwine, I know you're not, I mean, you and so many others now carrying out on the work that the, our ancestors who went through so much have charged us to do, and you're carrying on yeah. that work, and I'm sure they are with you and uh, so many others. It's really encouraging to see this movement growing and continuing, and as you say, not giving up. Thank you so very much, Barbara. I know you're going to continue to keep you keep us posted, and we'll have you back on the show very soon. Thank you, Barbara Arnwine. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Watch us on September the 27th. If it's not done, watch us. All right. Thank you. All righty. Okay. Thank you. We're, we are going to take our station break now. And coming up, what's going on? An update with uh, the U.S.-Mexico border, um, humanitarian crisis uh, growing there. Also, our weekly Earth Watch as indigenous people and other environmentalists trying to stop logging in a very, very ancient forest on Vancouver Island. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Fantastic, oh freedom by Vivian Green. It certainly is my mantra. Before I be a slave, I'll be buried in my grave. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check out our website at www.sotrueradio.org. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us on Facebook. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at So True Radio. And we are also nationwide and worldwide on SoundCloud. By the way, all of our back shows are archived there and today in the United States we would like to give a shout out to our listeners 
in Seattle, Washington, in the U.S. And internationally, we're picking up our listeners in the Southeast Asia today. We'd like to give a shout out to our listeners in Indonesia. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. And now, migrants and what's happening at the border. Along the U.S.-Mexico border, there remains a migrant crisis as many continued to be detained and seek asylum. The number of migrant children and border patrol facilities has been steadily rising, according to a new report from Reuters. On August 4th, there were more than 2,200 unaccompanied children in U.S. Customs and Border Protection custody, more than double the number just a month earlier, according to daily statistics provided by the government since March and compiled by Reuters. The average time unaccompanied children are spending in U.S. custody is around 60 hours, which is just a tad under the 72-hour limit set by a long-standing court settlement. Many of the migrants being detained and seeking asylum come from Central America. They hail from Haiti, as well as a number of African countries. On Wednesday, September 15th, U.S. Customs and Border Protection released new data reporting that U.S. authorities stationed along the southern border stopped migrants nearly 200,000 times this just in August alone. Um, and this is what they describe as unlawful entries, slowed down slightly after reaching a 21-year high during the previous month. The new data demonstrates that migration to the U.S.-Mexico border remained at a high level toward the end of the summer. Historically, during the end of summer's migrant crossings at the border remains low because of the heat. Uh, however, this, many say, shows how desperate the situation is, the desperation of people who are fleeing, many fleeing for their lives, fleeing because of environmental uh, crisis there, fleeing um, because of hunger and poverty, and a lot of which has to do with U.S. foreign policy and economic policy, by the way, in those countries. The new data also revealed that 75% of migrants who attempted to cross the border and were stopped, were swiftly expelled to Mexico. Many have criticized President Biden for maintaining a Trump-era public health edict that keeps migrants in Mexico. Furthermore, more than 18,000 unaccompanied minors, most of them from Central America, entered U.S. custody just last month. Let us go to a clip now about um, from NBC about what the Supreme Court did uh, because President Biden uh, did try to undo that remain in Mexico uh, policy while people are, are uh, seeking asylum. Let's go to that clip now. The United States Supreme Court ordered the Biden administration to resume a controversial immigration program, forcing asylum applicants to wait outside the country. NBC News justice correspondent Pete Williams has details. It's one of the first things President Biden did after taking office, ending a Trump administration program known as Remain in Mexico. It required people seeking asylum to wait outside the country while their claims were considered. Tens of thousands lingered in makeshift tent cities. Human rights groups said many were attacked by criminals and drug gangs. People were kidnapped. People were raped. 
all kinds of terrible things happened to these people while they were trying to get protection under the laws of the United States. But lower courts ordered the Biden administration to reinstate Remain in Mexico. And late Tuesday night, the Supreme Court refused to intervene. The court's three liberals said they would have blocked the program. All righty. So, of course, that decision happening um, back in August, I think that was around August 25th, uh, 26th, uh, but it's definitely uh, causing a crisis. Uh, the Biden administration now has nearly 17,000 migrants assigned to special courts dedicated to processing families seeking asylum quicker. And according to new data from Syracuse University's Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, Nearly 12,000 migrants were added to the asylum request docket in August. Also, two-thirds of the more than 16,700 cases have been assigned to only six judges, signaling huge backlogs in deciding the fate of families under attack. In one recent extreme case, a Boston immigration judge was assigned 129 cases in just one day. This according to Axios. Now I'd like to welcome our guest, Alba Jaramillo, Executive Director of Arizona Justice for Our Neighbors, based in Tucson, Arizona, an organization that provides legal services to asylum seekers at the Nogales port of entry. Alba, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so um, we're not hearing a lot in main, in the mainstream media about what is happening at the border. Um, I, I mentioned earlier about the humanitarian crisis. Um, tell us what you are witnessing, what you are seeing happening at the border, Alba. Okay, okay. well, our organization provides legal services to asylum seekers that come um, to the border to access the asylum process. And so we bear witness to, to the violence that they have lived. We bear witness to, to the lack of due process and, and the trauma that these migrants have gone through. You know, it's been, I don't even know where to begin uh, because there's just so much to, to discuss when it's come to this issue. And there is a humanitarian crisis. But the crisis is also perpetrated by the U.S. government in the policies that we have, the closure of the border with Title 42, now with the recent um, reinstatement of MPP, we are further creating these humanitarian uh, crises and endangering the lives of the asylum seekers at the port of entry. So what's happening right now is that the border is closed, and, and that is because of Title 42. This is... Um, a very old uh, public health regulation that says that people cannot enter the country if there's a communicable disease. And that has been in the books for about 75 years. And, and Trump was the first person that actually invoked that public health regulation under the CDC in an effort to, to prevent migrants from entering the country. So because of Title 42, no one can get through the country. The border is closed. Um, and all of these asylum seekers are stuck on the Mexican uh, side of the border waiting to access the asylum system. But while they're there, they're subject to extreme dangers. Um, I can tell you countless stories of asylum seekers who have been um, sexually assaulted. We know that one out of three 
women that are in their journey to the United States will be sexually assaulted in Mexico in the journey. I can tell you stories about women whose children have been, um, that they've been attempted kidnapped or entire family units that have been kidnapped. So they are very vulnerable and they are um, targeted by organized crimes. The other thing is what happens at the shelters. The shelters are full um, there are many asylum seekers end up on the streets. Um, they, you know, they can't afford to rent hotels. Um, even some shelters were at, will actually, um, you know, make them pay rent, you know, $3 a day per person to stay the night there when the average wage in, in the border city is less than $10 a day. And, and you're talking about a family of three. So how can, how can they survive? And then there's the whole issue of the pandemic and, and how that, is affecting um, the asylum seeker dealing, you know, in overcrowded um, housing situations and shelters, um, not having access to medical care, especially if they're not of Mexican descent, um, and um, and not being able, of course, to find employment because of the pandemic. So there is just so much happening. It is an absolute abuse of human rights for the Biden administration not not to. Um, you know, uh, lift um, Title 42 and not to allow the migrants to, to enter the border. And it is an absolute crime. In my point of view, it is an absolute violation of human rights for the Supreme Court to, you know, to now, you know, allow this policy of the Remain in Mexico program that now asylum seekers um, have to remain in Mexico during the entirety of their case. Um, you know, and the way that that has played out in, in the past in, in our border region in Nogales is that um, any asylum seeker that was subject to MPP can't even wait in Nogales, which is a little bit safer than other ports of entries in the, in the southern border. They were forced to take, um, to go all the way to Ciudad Juarez, which is one of the most dangerous cities in the world, and await their entire um, judicial proceedings from, from um, Juarez, and, and, and then go across you know, to these 10 courts in El Paso for their hearings, which, you know, also means that they're subject to being placed in what we call the ice boxes, the hieleras. Well, they'll be there for two days under freezing conditions, which in itself is a form of torture. Um, and, and then they go to their 10, the 10 court hearings and then immediately sent back to Ciudad Juarez where they live in tent conditions and, and targeted by, by organized crime. And then you mentioned, you know, the issue of the accompanied, unaccompanied minors, and, and that is another issue. Right now, unaccompanied minors is probably the only migrant population that can get through the border um, through um, as an exception to Title 42. But you have to think about, you know, what these families, the sacrifices that they're having to make. The families cannot come in through the border, and so they're faced with the situation of their children being in danger. Many of these children um, being persecuted themselves. I have met countless of, uh, of children that they themselves have been subject to sexual assault or forced into gangs, and that's why they had to flee, uh, flee their, their home countries. And so these families, these mothers, have to make this very difficult situ uh, decision of sending their, their children by themselves across the border. And, and while they're, you know, they may spend some time in, in Border Patrol custody, what happens next is, is really sad. Then they get placed in these detention facilities that the government doesn't even call them detention facilities. They call them um, shelters. They're not shelters. These kids are in a lockdown facility, um, and 
and they're not allowed to leave. They're not allowed to have visitors. I mean, they're in jail, and most of them are there in these facilities for a minimum of a month if they have a sponsor that can prove they can financially support them and then it's a safe place for them to go. If they don't, they're wow. going to stay in these detention facilities up until they're 18 years old. So so it is, you know, many, many issues. Child abuse, as far as I'm concerned there, um, Alba. And, um, I mean, you've, you've painted a, a very good uh, picture for our listeners to know what is happening there. But, Alba, for people who are just shocked and appalled and hurt by what you have just uh, described, uh, what can they do? Is there a way of, of uh, getting in touch with or supporting the efforts of Arizona Justice uh, for Our Neighbors? Tell us that before yes. we have to wrap up. Yes. Well, I, I do think, you know, this issue doesn't just impact our border region. Asylum seekers come through Arizona. We're a pass-through state, and asylum seekers go through every single state um, in the United States. So all of us, you know, if we're moved by this issue, we need to call our elected officials, and we need to demand that the administration um, end Title 42. And we need to demand that the administration continue to fight against MPP. And so that affects all of us. And, and of course, um, you know, I, I do, um, you know, always stay in touch with our organization. Um, you can find us on www.acjfon.org. ACJFON.org. And we'll we'll put that information on our social media of Sojourner Truth as well. So uh, Alba Jaramillo, Executive Director of Arizona Justice for Our Neighbors in Tucson, Arizona. Thank you for your work and thank you for joining us. And, and please continue to keep us posted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. This is Margaret Prescott, and we are now going to wrap up our show with our weekly Earth Watch. We're continuing to cover the climate crisis, the climate catastrophe that we're facing. And on Vancouver Island's ancient forests are under threat, and indigenous and environmental campaigners have been organizing a months-long anti-logging movement. Uh, um, they have been organizing blockades against the destruction of trees and the local environment. And uh, there are some reports, uh, the numbers seem to vary and our guests could fill us in, but um, Globe and Mail is saying that close to a thousand people uh, have been arrested and some are saying this is Canada's largest act of civil disobedience uh, ever. So let's welcome our guest to let us know uh, what's going on and, and what others of us can do to support them. I'd like to welcome Rainbow Eyes, who is an indigenous land defender with the Rainforest Flying Squad. Rainbow Eyes, thank you for joining us. Uh, Gayla Kessler, um, thank you for having me. I am a member of the Dinaqdao Awitlala First Nation. And our territory is night and met um, on the north end of Vancouver Island. Right. So tell us uh, what is what is going on, because this is quite something. I mean, it's not getting a lot of uh, coverage in, in the mainstream media here. And this is in at Ferry Creek in uh, British Columbia, according to reports. So uh, tell us what is happening, what you're aiming to do and how people yeah, so, um, what people can do. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, this has been going on since um, last August, so it's been a year and two months. 
that the blockade has started on the Patidat and Dididat First Nation. And we are now over a thousand arrests. So it definitely is Canada's largest act of civil disobedience. And it's um, our goal is to save old growth forests um, here. And what's happening is we're realizing that we're stronger, you know, together. And, and it's insane that standing for the trees and standing for the last old growth, the the system and the government is making us criminals. That's right. And you are uh, not only um, protecting the local environment, but also uh, pre preventing corporate industry, right, from coming in and invading unceded territory, un unceded indigenous territory. Tell us, tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. So we are invited onto the Pachidat and Zidirat, um land by Elder Bill Jones. So he is an elder of the Pachidat First Nation, and we Ferry Creek is actually his hunting, well, all of Pachidat and Zidirat, hunting and fishing territory. So this is unceded territory. This is the people's land. This is not crown land. This is not government land. This land belongs to the people, and we are there under an elder's invitation to protect the old growth. And every single day, the RCMP comes and brutally, and it's, it's getting worse every single day, macing people in the mouth, in the groin, pulling hair, choking out. Like, it's incredible the violence the Canadian RCMP are putting on peaceful protesters. This is important. All of the forest defenders are peaceful. We go into dragons. We, we make dragons um, to prevent industry from growing in. But it's incredible the amount of truth that is coming out of this protest because the RCMP are not there to protect any of us, obviously. They're there working for industry to get us out any means possible. And in the past month, as we get closer to the end of the injunction for Teal Jones, um, where they will have to leave, the RCMP has ramped up the violence so extremely. People are getting broken ribs. People are getting, um, people are going into the hospital right now. And it's, and it's insane. And it's only now that media is starting to cover it so i mean it's been going on for a year but it's taken this incredible amount of violence on the on the side of the rcmp to just begin to get the media coverage that this deserves right and also it, it seems as though certain people are being singled out i mean as you say a lot of violence people being beaten pepper sprayed um etc and now law enforcement officials are now in court pushing for even tougher to take tougher yeah. measures but um mm -hmm. you know you are one of fairy creek's indigenous leaders and we know that rainbow eyes is you know uh, you know uh, a pseudonym used to basically to protect you but um is it true that 
you and other black and indigenous people of color, you feel that you're being singled out by uh, law enforcement for this. Just a quick comment yeah. on that. We just have a couple of minutes left, but also what can people do? I mean, this is outrageous uh, what you're saying. And given the crisis that's facing the world, uh, you are really trying to protect all of us, our right to breathe, which is what the trees uh, do for us to, yeah. you know, to yeah. protect mother earth, right? For which you should be lauded, not beaten and, and put down. So tell us also what people can do. Rainbow yeah. eyes. Yeah, they're definitely um, singling out indigenous land defenders every single day. We don't have time to tell all the stories like nobody does. They can't get out. The frontline defenders don't have time to tell them, but they are pointing out in groups of people, the indigenous land defenders, women mostly, and they are targeting the women. So they are definitely, and myself, I've been arrested four times, and there's people that have been arrested 13 times, and I can't go back into Surrey Creek. They've confiscated my drum that I take to the front lines and given it its own court date and charged it with mischief. So, I mean, it's just insane what they're doing. Um, we have a fundraiser, and it's on our Facebook page and Instagram page, which is Fairy Creek Blockade, and it's tagged on the top of our pages. So um, anybody can go to the top of the Fairy Creek Blockade um, on Facebook or Instagram right. to find a link to the fundraiser. And... Um, Okay, well, we will certainly post that on our social media and hope our listeners will respond. Uh, we'll stay in touch with you, um, um, Rainbow Eyes, and also we want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project, our partner for our weekly Earth Watch. Thank you for joining us, but we are out of time. And um, today's show... Okay, today's show produced by me. That's uh, Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank our audio engineer, Keanu Williams, our assistant producer, Romero Funes. If you'd like a copy of today's Sojourner Truth show, contact the Pacifica Radio Archives. You can go online, pacificaradioarchives.org. Thank you for listening. And y'all, please stay safe. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.